Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Trevor Brown covers Oklahoma politics, and there was big news recently regarding the gubernatorial race as state school superintendent Joy Hoffmeister, who's term limited in that role, said she'll challenge Kevin Sitt for the governor's seat and will switch parties to run as a Democrat. Trevor, how does this change the landscape of the governor's race? Yes, yeah, so Democrats have struggled running statewide over the last several years. It's been at least a decade since um, they won a statewide contest. And going into the race, you know, the governor is the favorite. He's the incumbent. He has a lot of cash. Um, but um, Superintendent Hoffmeister's entry changes a lot of things. She's won statewide twice. She has crossover appeal for both Democrats and Republicans. And a lot of people say now, you know, we're looking at a real contest. What's been the reaction on the Democratic side to, to Hoffmeister joining the party? So a lot on the Democratic side, at least in the establishment, have um, pretty much welcomed Superintendent Hoffmeister into the race. The chairwoman of the Democratic Party um, put out a release saying they welcome her. They're looking forward to a, a good primary race. But, you know, they're I think they're a little bit excited that they have a, a candidate that could really give the governor Stid a run for his money. Um, of course, on the more progressive side, um, a lot of people are waiting to learn more about her positions outside the education realm, um, you know, things like abortion, gun bills, taxes, big Democratic issues along the lines of that. How about the Republicans? Republicans, um, they, there hasn't been too much said. The governor hasn't really commented about it, but the uh, chairman of the Republican Party, John Bennett, put out a statement saying, um, you know, this is more Republicans, you know, they say rhino, Republican in name only, um, you know, showing their true colors here. So there's definitely going to be a lot of in, in the Republican side that are a little dismayed by Superintendent Hoffmeister leaving their side. Um, others will be, you know, grateful that maybe some more conservative figures might um, be more prominent on the, on the state stage. What are some potential challenges for Hoffmeister now that she's in the race? So one of the big issues is just reestablishing herself to Oklahoma voters. Most people know her primarily, you know, as the state education chief. They know a lot of her positions on education. But like I said, there's not always there's not a whole breadth of, um, you know, votes or statements on a lot of other issues. So she'll have to kind of thread the line of, you know, staying true to her character and what she said in the past while also appealing to increasingly purple, sometimes blue areas of the state where they're looking for a more progressive candidate. What about the other challengers or potential challengers? Um, What do we know about them at this point? So we still have a lot of time for candidates to officially get in. April is the official um, candidate filing period, so we still could see a lot more candidates enter the race. However, we're about a year away from the general election, so candidates going to have to really start throwing their cats in the ring right now. But on the Republican side, you have Senator Irvin Yen. Um, 
He was a state senator. Um, he's been out of the politics game for a little bit on the Democratic side. Um, Connie Johnson, a former state representative who unsuccessfully ran for um, governor last time, um, is the only Democrat running at this point. So it'd be interesting to see if we have more Democrats entering the race or not. Uh, anybody else on the horizon that comes to mind? Um, you know, Joe Dorman has run in the past. He's out of politics now. Uh, Scott Inman, uh, you know, was a, a leader in the House for a long time. Any, any rumblings about anybody else coming in soon? So there's some rumors that some of the younger um, Democrats in the House, um, people like M Emily Virgin, um, Monroe Nichols, um, there were rumored to be candidates coming into this. Um, Representative Nichols even put out a, a statement after Hoffmeister announced her run saying that he's no longer looking at the race. And um, it'd be curious to see what others decide. It'll be interesting. Thanks, Trevor. Be sure to subscribe to Trevor's Capital Watch newsletter at oklahomawatch.org. Jennifer Palmer covers education and has been trying to find out the extent to which COVID has affected Oklahoma teachers. Jennifer, in your recent story about breakthrough COVID cases among school staff, there were two big questions you really struggled to find answers to. What were those questions and where did you look for those answers? Yeah, so these were really pretty core questions and I thought would be simple to find how many teachers have had COVID and how many teachers are vaccinated. Um, I couldn't find any state agency that was tracking either of those on a uh, state level and or any national education groups that had state level data. Now an Oklahoma Education Association survey has come out that answered one of your questions. What did they find? So they found um, among a poll of many of their members that about a quarter or 27% have had COVID. Uh, they also found that almost all or 98% knew someone who had COVID. 34% uh, of the teachers polled lost someone to COVID. So it's had a pretty large impact. How do those numbers compare with the student population? Do they suggest teachers are at any higher risk than their students? So we don't have great data on this, but I did find that the American Academy of Pediatrics had some data on um, kids zero to 17. So it does include some numbers of kids who are younger than school age. They found that about 98,000 Oklahoma kids have had COVID and that's about 10% of all the kids in Oklahoma. Early in the pandemic, we heard about teachers opting to retire or change careers. Uh, in light of the pandemic, has that exodus slowed at all? I don't think so. I actually feel like it's accelerating. Um, I, we don't have good data on this, but anecdotally, I talked to a school administrator just yesterday, and she said that it used to be absolutely unheard of to hear of teachers leaving outside of, you know, either the December kind of Christmas break window or in uh, until in the summer. And they've had teachers leave as recent as yesterday or this week. Um, you know, my, my own son has, uh, he's in middle school and one of his teachers left last week. And um, I think it's, it's happening across the state. Uh, any other interesting findings from the survey? 
You know, one of the things they asked about was substitute teachers, and I did think their findings there were pretty interesting. 91% of the teachers they asked said they have not had enough substitutes this year, and 44% have said that that disruption has been major. Um, They've also talked about their stress level, and on a scale of 1 to 10, 22%, so one out of five teachers, rated their stress at a 10, and that's just, that's not good. Well, and especially alarming in a state where we've had trouble attracting and retaining teachers and relied on emergency substitutes as much as we have in the past. Absolutely. Thanks, Jennifer. Listeners can subscribe to Jennifer's weekly education newsletter at oklahomawatch.org. Lionel Ramos wrote about the potential for Afghan refugees to find new homes in Oklahoma a few weeks ago. He's here to give us an update on that story. Lionel, it's been a month and a half since the last plane carrying Americans and Afghans from Afghanistan departed Kabul. Now Afghan refugees are being resettled in communities throughout the U.S., including Oklahoma. How's that going? Yeah, well, results vary around the country. Different nonprofit organizations have their own ways of resettling refugees and pulling community resources to do that. In Oklahoma, we are expecting 1,850 refugees to resettle in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and smaller cities like Stillwater and Norman. Uh, There are two main focuses now that Afghan families have started arriving in the state, um, and that is short-term and long-term resettlement. Each have their own complications. In the short term, the focus is making sure refugees have necessities like food, clothes, cultural items like prayer rugs and beads, government cash assistance, temporary lodging, and introductory English lessons. In the long term, it's providing them with long-term affordable housing, a successful integration into the public health care system, Medicaid, and insurance of long-term financial independence through stable and well-paying jobs. Who's doing the work to ensure their safe resettlement? Yeah, so there are a few nonprofit organizations pitching in to help. The main ones in charge are Catholic Charities Archdiocese Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And uh, here in Oklahoma City, Catholic Charities is getting help from the Council on Islamic American Relations, a local Muslim support group. And uh, they've received what Veronica Lager, the civil rights director at uh, CARE, called an overwhelming number of donations from uh, private individuals and other organizations around the metro. And in Tulsa, there's a similar operation taking place where Catholic Charities is in charge and local organizations are pitching in. Moving is expensive for somebody, you know, relocating across town or to another state. How are Afghan refugees who left home with only what they could carry being supported financially? And where, where does that money come from and how long will that financial support last? Yeah, so earlier I mentioned government cash assistance. Refugees can enroll in what's called the the Refugee Cash Assistance Program, which is an eight-month employment program that provides families with direct cash deposits from the federal government and funds from Catholic charities. And it's meant to promote early employment and self-sufficiency. The amounts vary based on family size, from about $200 for a single person to about three to $400 for a family of four, five. You know, you mentioned um, some... Uh, cultural necessities. How do language and cultural differences figure into their their safe resettlement here? Sure. So one of the main challenges in that regard is the fact that in Afghanistan, there are a few widely spoken languages. Uh, the main ones are Farsi and Pashto. Uh, making sure that there are enough people who can speak those languages, volunteering 
and interacting with the refugees is one of the top priorities for Catholic Charities and helping organizations. Uh, that being said, refugees are allowed to access some of the mosques around town uh, here in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa uh, to pray and be around folks who have been here a while, uh, who share their culture and their faith. Um, cultural acclimation is one of the things that will get easier as time passes, and the refugees are exposed to more of Oklahoma and the people that live here, of course. You know, Oklahoma hasn't always been the most Muslim-friendly place. Um, do you have any uh, any sense of how the refugees are being received in Oklahoma? Yeah, so in general, Oklahomans have been quite welcoming and receptive of the incoming Afghan refugees, um, as is evident by the large number of donations Catholic charities and helping organizations have received in the past month. In the, in the past month. Um, there have been some alarming comments made by GOP leadership about Muslims and Islam as a faith in the past couple of years, uh, as well as some concerns surrounding how thorough the refugee vetting process is. Uh, but other Republicans, like Governor Kevin Stitt and Senator James Langford, have expressed strong support for the Afghan refugees uh, arriving here, even amidst disapproval in their own party. Uh, there's also a sentiment I've been hearing of, you know, and I hear this from Oklahomans in general, uh, why help Afghans in need when Oklahoma can barely help its own people in need? It's a loaded question, but in a time when many Oklahomans are struggling to find affordable housing, access to health care, and stable employment, all things refugees will need too, it stands as something worth looking into. All right. You can follow Lionel's ongoing coverage of Afghan refugees coming to Oklahoma at oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch. You can find those stories on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.